Hello, everyone. I am Matt Landis, and you are listening to the Tink Tink Club podcast. As we move along through this incarnation on our own personal journeys, we have to remind ourselves to accumulate self-awareness. We also have to understand that, although separate, mind and body are in reality one entity that makes up the whole of our being. While I was doing research for this podcast, I came across a wonderful quote from the great yogi BKS Iyengar. The physical body is not only a temple for ourselves, but the means by which we embark on the inward journey to the core. In other words, without a proper vessel, it's much more difficult to navigate the open seas of consciousness effectively. Our guest this week was one of the most interesting people that I've had the pleasure of sharing time and space with, Dan DeLine. Dan is a forager and herbalist who teaches classes through his school, Return to Nature. His philosophies and insights are so powerful and well-researched that I've already made important changes in my own life since our time together. We cover everything from proper diet, to living off the land, to what steps need to be taken to make the world a better place for us all to live. I won't go into too much detail here because uh, Dan is so much better at articulating his teachings than I will ever be. Before the show, we all shared a beautiful dinner of wild chanterelles that Dan brought, as well as some homemade yogurt and real cacao. I have a feeling that Dan will be a lifelong friend of mine, and of the Ting Ting Club as well. Go to returntonature.us for more information, videos, and to donate to the cause in any way you can. This episode is sponsored by the Instagram account Truth underscore Society. This is an account that aims to open the eyes of the public at large by bringing you real information in a way that is easy to understand. Truth underscore Society also encourages people to do their own research in every way possible. By promoting skepticism, Truth underscore society has given me a daily reminder that I need to digest information in my own way and not to rely on some news outlet or blog article to know what's happening on this planet. You need to accumulate self-awareness. Follow truth underscore society on Instagram to fill your social media universe with insight and some mental stimulation. That's truth underscore society. So join us as we merge body and mind to make ourselves into one universal entity with our new friend, Dandelion. Welcome back to the Tink Tink Club. I am Matt Landis. I am Tim King. And I'm Chris Conti. And today we are here with Dan from Return to Nature. Dan is a forager and most importantly a teacher that is proactively doing his part to make this planet a better and healthier place to live. He is here to impart some knowledge and to help us understand how humans have lost their connection to the world around us. Welcome to the Tink Tink Club. Dan Thank you. Thank you, friends. <laughs> how Glad are you? Uh you want to start by just telling us a little bit about back to na- or return to nature? Sure. Well, the first fun thing is the idea that back to nature means that we can go back, right, right. So, mm-hmm. to some idea, to some state. And return to nature is kind of understanding that, okay, we're in the midst of a, of a sort of technologically based society, and how do we kind of make that yield to biology once again mm-hmm. and sort of return it towards natural processes? Mm-hmm. Um, so that includes kind of interacting with the ecosystem through classes, as well as teaching from, you know, animal tracking to 
um, foraging to mushroom identification, really basic botany stuff, but also then trying to understand uh, our relationship with the ecosystem and what does it mean to be a taker versus a caretaker mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, things like that. Yeah, so, so it's more more of a philosophy, you're saying. Yeah, it ends up yeah. becoming because right. the interaction between human and ecosystem actually is a crucial step of understanding mm-hmm. what our role and our purpose is as human beings on this planet. Uh, kind of a, a, a question that's been in the corner of the room but needs to be kind of pulled out and looked at because mm. obviously we need change, we need transformation. Wow. So what do, you think the, what do you think was the significant moment for you that you were like, this is what I sort of want to dedicate my life to? Gosh. Um, <laughs> I well, know. I know. <laughs> there are steps along the way, and for everyone, I mean, something I always think about is like awakening is such a slippery thing because when mm. are you awake and when are you not, and, and what is the steps to that experience and so I had significant experiences in my life like my dad built uh, a sandbox when I was young Mm -hmm. my mom had a garden next to that Um, my dad then built in the like public land built a tree house and I had a tree fort you know and so (laughs) I grew up kind of playing out there all the time and eating uh, plants you know that my mother was growing and also herbs she was growing a lot of herbs but she never really took it to like being medicinal like in your bowl in your in your dish and right. so that was my progressive revelation starting with mushroom hunting mm-hmm. uh, in the woods right near my parents house and then identifying my first mushroom out of the woods and eating that and that was a really transformative uh, will realignment uh, wow. self realignment right. how old were you then uh, I think that was 19 oh, wow. was the mushroom the first um, found edible that you had that was the first found Forge. edible because my mom basically taught me to take pictures and I just felt really called to mushrooms in wet in rain mm-hmm. was like my photographic just mm-hmm. calling <laughs> and then I realized that people had been doing that for you know millions of years right. and uh, I started to revive that awakening within myself and found the shroomery.org right. it's a great website uh, so I'm sure we, for anyone we, listening go to shroomery.org for yeah. all that information about and stuff. I would just sit in those mushroom hunting identification yeah. forums and I just learned and learned and learned wow. and learned and learned and they helped me to identify my first mushroom and so I mm. ate it <laughs> and my whole life changed yeah. It all goes back to the mushroom always, right? It does. It does. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> the crux of the mushroom. That's and right. so this was a, a edible a honey mushroom, which is a common mushroom that's in pretty much any wheat, uh, any any backyard or anything. And it's really interesting. This is the one, if anybody's familiar, Paul Stamets talks about the Paul largest Stamets. organism mm. uh, is our malaria. So this is a honey mushroom. So that was kind of the first one I ate. And that, so then you get to the philosophy, well, what the hell does it mean to eat a parasitic mushroom? Because that's the cultural perception that this thing right. is kind of parasitizing on trees, mm-hmm. and those walls are starting to fall as far as understanding, well, maybe the dynamics are uh, sort of culturally bound, and maybe we don't understand the mm-hmm. ecological dynamics. And so mm-hmm. there's so many levels of that that is really important. It's really funny because when I started getting into edible mushrooms for health, uh, and wellness, I became like sort of evangelical about it, you know, like everybody. Yeah. Really. <laughs> you got to go through those and, phases. And what happens is when you tell people, like, oh, I, I take a mushroom supplement or I, mm-hmm. I take a, a chaga tincture or something, mm-hmm. they're always, they have this weird reaction to it. Yeah. It's like knee jerk. They're like, oh, mushrooms, no thank you. Like, you know, people think of them as poisonous or psilocybin. They think of them, you know, hallucinatory. There's actually a guy that uh, comes into where I work 
who is a retired police officer, and I've convinced him to start taking chaga. Mm-hmm. And it's I just thought it was like interesting that uh, his first reaction was like, "No, thank you." Well, you know the the thing I see about certain instinctual reactions, I look at them and I try to understand what is their biological function. Mm-hmm. Why is a person biologically doing this? So it's kind of like. The idea, uh, maybe Michael Pollan brings in, right, this idea that plants are doing things to humans, right? Like, flip it on the side, right? So then it's like, what is the the connection between sort of... uh, Crash landing by the thunder. <laughs> <laughs> it was so nice. All I wanted to do was sing Riders on the It's too good to pass on. Yeah. Yep. So the connection. So it's really interesting about this. 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 It's basically the crux of it is mycophobia, right? And so we break it down. There's just a general in the mushroom hunting world. You see, and as a teacher, as a plant teacher, as a mushroom teacher. One of the things I see and observe very carefully are people's reactions, right? And that's an incredibly insightful polling practice. I get to really see what the interaction is like between people in nature or people in the wild or people in mushrooms, and stuff comes up. And what comes up are sort of biological instincts but sort of manipulated into something they wouldn't be. So, for example, we can see the fear of fungus, right? Um, Mm -hmm. The fear of mold, right? Mm -hmm. Mold we know biologically is not good for us. Mm -hmm. And so in this culture, though, we don't know how to tell the difference necessarily between the mold fear and the fungus fear and all these different subtle things that are actually biological survival mechanisms that are now very confused by uh, many levels of confusion. So do you see, like, I know you teach young children. Do you see them having having a di- different reaction to fungus than older people, or is it just strict, strictly biological, like you're saying? It seems that people are conditioned once they're young to be afraid of nature, mm-hmm. and I don't think it's actually in people. And that's the question, is it right. biological to be uh, afraid of nature? Mm-hmm. No, obviously not, right. because we are nature. <laughs> right. And so then the question is really, why do these things get sort of skewed? And so I had learned... Wow, you know, so from my own upbringing, I had suddenly realized as I was teaching, as I was teaching kids about nature, you know, why don't I hear those stories more often? You know, that one time my kid, like, yeah, foraging, that's cute and all teaching kids, but my kid, you know, ate the wrong plant and puked all over and had to go to the hospital. (laughs) You'd be surprised how little I've heard those stories. And, um,. I realized for myself that connected with me playing with wild plants. I basically played with wild plants all my upbringing, mm-hmm. and yet I never had that story, right. that one time here. that I put <laughs> something in my mouth that I shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. And so this gave me the trust and the understanding of, wow, the instinct, if not coerced through the mind, actually is potentially for that. Mm-hmm. Like the instincts yeah. are biological survival necessities and so we have taste buds on our tongues for sensing plant chemistry Mm -hmm. that's the reason you have them and it's been a million and a half year process to develop that tongue and now we're screwing around with synthetic chemicals on our tongue Mm -hmm. for 50 years or so and it's been you know a million years since we walked out of Africa and we don't really know how that's going to play out you know it's only been 50 years it doesn't (laughs) seem like it's been going so well (laughs) Do you oh, think the chemical invasion of our society is affecting the new generation? 
Invasion meaning pills people take, things we drink, Red Bulls, all these synthetic things that are in yogurt. Like, we were, what's the chemical in yogurt that is not natural? We uh, it actually before. is. In this it case, is. the oh, yogurt okay. <laughs> is carrageenan is a, a, a seaweed, but uh-huh. it's some people say it gives them stomach upsets. So. Okay. Uh, it's in ice cream, et cetera, but mm-hmm. that's just a side note. As far as uh, the m- bombardment with chemicals, obviously what we want to distinguish are synthetic chemicals. And if we look around, we see health rates rising, uh, uh, illness rates rising tremendously. And so obviously synthetic chemicals being in- introduced into the ecosystem is not helping at all. So as long as we can at least get everybody in the consensus, the global consensus that that's true, that would be a huge step. (laughs) Do you think with the new phase of people going organic and natural, is that contrived by... The higher ups, you know, or is it? It's whenever a good idea. It's a dance, you know, and so the people dance. They wake up. And then there becomes this sort of corporatized version of it, and it's kind of like tastes a little funny, Mm -hmm. and people kind of slip into that. So, you know, the logistics is that uh, there are corporations that lobby for uh, the change of organic standards, right? Right. And they're Mm -hmm. very much heavily invested in making other chemicals uh, included in organic standardization. I've been really, as a farmer, forager, you know, observer of food, and a cross-comparer between people are very afraid of foraged food, but then they'll go and eat horrible food. And I'm like, wow, that's that's incredible if you really think about right. <laughs> the resistance that somebody has to a food in their backyard versus, like, buying right. it from who knows where. So that's kind of the Keebler elf phenomena. It's like we think that everything that has a label on it, organic, necessarily means that like elves in heaven made it. (laughs) But the story is very different, you know, and Mm -hmm. and it turns out that that is a corporate uh, sort of manipulation and we have to go beyond organic and we have to understand what does it mean then uh, to really understand where our food comes from. And it's all about a relationship, and that's where it, again, mm-hmm. return to nature comes to, mm-hmm. well, what is my interaction with the ecosystem, and what happens if I do put synthetic chemicals into my drinking water and then drink it? And, mm-hmm. you know, su- studies are showing it's not very good. Yeah. Um, you know, something that really uh, I felt was very deep, uh, I believe it, Stephen Buhner's book called The Lost Language of Plants. Mm-hmm. first half is really about how... Uh, antibiotics, what they do once they're in the ecosystem, uh, which is really profound to consider and something I hadn't understood, uh, that these things are persistent in the ecosystem. And so we dump them down the toilet and we dump them Mm -hmm. down the drain. And even when we consume them, we urinate them out and they go into waterways and they're not filtered out. Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of the half, the first half. And the second half is a little... Uh, more hopeful. <laughs> well, so that that sort of brings me to the the idea of of food as medicine. Yeah. You know, that's this everything yeah. that you're talking about. Yeah. I think it's so important for people to understand. Do you think there is an actual there's a balance between illness and me- natural medicine? Do you think there is a cure for every ailment? The cure for every ailment is complete radical society change, yeah. you know, and it, it's it's so interesting how we're, this is kind of an alchemical dream, the idea of the panacea, which would fix all problems, and this kind of 
trying to use technology to find that substance. And so we're projecting that on the nature, particularly into the Amazon rainforest, which is mm-hmm. the lungs, interestingly enough, right? So consider mm-hmm. we're going, we're probing into the lungs, looking for this one cure-all. Right. And it's not how disease occurs, you know. It's not like if there's nothing that's going to enable you of nature... Right? There's nothing that will enable you to continue all the patterns that have created the disease and add this little piece of something onto the fire, mm-hmm. and it will completely fix your life. Right. You know, It's about uprooting patterns, and mm-hmm. the illnesses due to patterns. So herbs sometimes fulfill roles of uplifting people to just care more about their life and their life patterns. And, mm-hmm. and so drinking herbal tea every day is kind of like saying, yes, I deserve it. Mm-hmm. I deserve to do something for me instead of 99 things against me. Um, So that is all part of the shift. And then there is, of course, the chemistry of the herbs, which Mm -hmm. also helps the physiology of the body. But then, you know, for me, I don't draw a distinction between physiology and sort of mind, body, spirit, and that they're all connected. And the chemistry within our beings, you know, is altered always by every herbal tea and every little herb that you consume. And genetically, we're being changed by the water we drink. And, you know, we're constantly evolving ecosystems. But I love how you're philosophy is it's, there's not a quick fix. You have to totally turn your life around. The quick fix is your lack of resistance. Right. And I that's feel like that's totally thing. a modern Western thought is everyone wants like, boom, fast food, I want my coffee now, yeah. I want to... The magic weight pills. The magic yeah. weight pills, but no one wants to actually 180 it. Yeah. <laughs> We're getting there because um, you know, in some sense, going down to the jungle is mm-hmm. 180-ing and mm-hmm. uh, you know, spending a, to- uh, a night toiling over a, a vomit bucket you know, <laughs> uh, and the ayahuasca phenomena is one of those scenarios where some some of us are saying all right like i'm yep. gonna just bear it and mm-hmm. that's always the, you know the heroic dose right, right. his heroic dose ideas so. what did that do for you that journey that journey uh helped me to realize that what i had always suspected was real was entirely completely real Um, that the universe actually responds more with intent, that the rules of the universe are actually much more magical than uh, sort of material, and that the material is more following around uh, the intentionality or the subtle energy of the phenomena. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of, uh, you know, getting down to the core. So, for example, we take it to cancer, right? Okay, what's the cause of cancer? Is it chemical? Like, you know, is it... Mm -hmm spraying Lysol all over yourself every time you go to the bathroom? Is it, you know, eating Wonder Bread? Is it eating tons of sugar? Sort of, but why does a person choose that pattern and that behavior, right? And if you know something's not good for you, why do you do it anyway? And that's Mm. a really interesting self-beating, which brings us then deeper towards, you know, we all have a kind of uh, self I'm not worthy banished from nature place within ourselves and that's what needs to be addressed Mm -hmm. not like I wouldn't eat bad food and feel bad if I didn't have a negative feeling towards myself right I see what you mean so the energy is kind of the cause the Mm -hmm. thought is kind of the cause and then 20 years later it's cancer right Mm -hmm. but when you're five and you go through childhood trauma and it's not resolved that changes the trajectory of our life forever of course Yes, yeah, so, you're, so you're saying society as a whole is basically mentally ill. 
Uh, <laughs> you could say that, but yeah. I think we need other funny diseases. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. um, so, so one of them is obsessive compuls compulsive mowing disorder. Uh, that means mowing your lawn obsessively. <laughs> and so there are funny things that are happening as a result of our uh, sort of neuroticism of our culture. Mm -hmm. And uh, I never understood the mowing the lawn thing. It's valuable space. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the permaculture revolution in a way, or right. the foraging revolution, is realizing that food and medicine are everywhere, and they start wherever right. you stop putting chemicals and concrete. Now mm -hmm. what are you going to do about that? You know? mm -hmm. yeah. And really realizing that as a society, um, that nature is crawling out of the concrete to try to get in our mouths, essentially. It's pretty profound. Mm -hmm. Back to the societal beating thing. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think it comes from patterns it's these terrible patterns yeah. that you go to a nine to five job you sit in traffic both ways you go i deserve a cheeseburger right now or, <laughs> and then that in turn is what you're feeding your children and then your children pick up those patterns yeah. and it just that's why i love what you're doing and what you're spreading and the idea of returning to nature because that is truly i think the answer to switching this thing around yeah, I hope so. Like, what's the problem with that? Like, nature? Does everybody go outside? You like oxygen? You into water? You like showering? <laughs> like, you like sunlight? Swimming? Like, do you do you ever get people that are that are that tell you that what you're doing is like not not right? You ever have like adverse say, reaction? Yeah, I can't imagine. They're always, you know, with all uh, herbs, there are always like, sort of adverse reactions in the form of resistance, mm -hmm. and so. Um, will people have resistance to the idea that um, invasive plants are actually food and medicine and should be turned into a cottage industry instead of a pesticide spraying uh, parade which kills people's children and dogs and each other? So that idea is met with a very resistant group of uh, invasive plant managers who really feel strongly that we need to get back to some original state of the ecosystem. But I think that's, again, a cultural projection on sort of uh, a guilty conscience that we fucked the place up. Yeah. Since we came on the Nina Pinta in Santa Maria, <laughs> things haven't been too good. So, you know, when I look at invasivism as a philosophical understanding, I know that to project that on plants is asinine. And we need to look at the patterns again, yeah. you know, that cause that sort of ecosystem damage, if we want to call it damage. And then, again, is it even damage? So it might turn out that those plants are performing essential functions that we're not really mm. uh, understanding yet, hmm. you know. So that's one level. But then also, you know, I, I think that all of us to step into our kind of awakened self we have to face all the fears inside of us that will bring the fears of rejection for whatever we say, you know. Mm -hmm. So Gandhi is an example of right. that, where he held stood to, you know, he held true to principle and he got, you know, uh, beaten and right. eventually shot for it. Mm -hmm. That's the scary balance of... Yeah. So the most important thing is reevaluation. A cultural, cultural reevaluation, re a massive reevaluation yeah. <laughs> of our values and the importance of our survival as a species uh -huh. is a really creeping question of becoming more and more important. Do we want to survive here as a species? Mm -hmm. You know, we're tinkering now. We're tink tinkering. Tink tinkering. <laughs> <laughs> the mechanism of the ecosystem. You know, we've got yeah. our hands on the big uh, wheels now, and and we're not really choosing as a whole. Uh, what the direction of that uh, endeavor would be, you know. And 
Wow. So let's, uh, man, that's kind of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, let's talk about diet because cool. this is like um, sort of what what I what I wanted to get into. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Dan brought us some homemade yogurt made with raw milk, and it was some of the best yogurt I've ever had. Obviously, and we were talking about before is binding agents that they put in it and stuff. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of strange sort of talk about dairy and I've been trying to avoid dairy now for you know some time mm -hmm. but maybe you could convince me that my claims were unfounded <laughs> no you know I think that we whenever there's a crisis you know we all start getting more towards uh, radical experimentation so essentially we're in a radical experimentation phase within that diet is a huge thing because it's almost like the second religion like diet has become like religiously uh, powerful right. right now and so we have these kind of spectrums of diets right mostly what's really popular is the high fat low carb mm -hmm. stuff the paleo right, right? 80 10 10 is on the other side right. with the high carbs and those are there are many spectrums within that um, as a forager what I learned is that if I rely on corporations, I can choose whatever the hell diet I want because it's being shipped in from a lot of uh, slave labor mm -hmm. across the country, yeah. frankly. You know, a lot of bad situations. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I study yoga philosophy. Uh, ahimsa is a very important principle, which is basically nonviolence, non-harming. Mm -hmm. When I look at some of these blanket ideas of, say, um, you know, milk is bad and being vegan is better, or uh, taking it to more like vegetables means um, beneficial, safe, mm -hmm. and animals means harm. When you look at corporate uh, food systems, even if it's tofu and it's coming from China and little slave children are making it and it's... Um, in a factory that's horrendous and they have no care and then it's being shipped on a crate and meanwhile it's chopping up dolphins and and right. then it spews out oil mm -hmm. like that isn't uh, a vegan product <laughs> by any means as, as far as this you know not harming animals yeah. so vegetables still harm animals if they're shipped mm -hmm. and so what I've really realized with foraging is what is local to my ecosystem and what did indigenous people do? What did the native people here do? And mm. so it's really interesting that your ecosystem, I try to th consider it 200 miles. So okay. if I could get 70% of all my food from 200 miles and maybe 30%, I think that would be, obviously that would reduce such strain off the ecosystem. Right. Yeah. Fossil fuel reduction, waste reduction is a huge <clears throat> factor. So if that was a sort of goal for my life and I look at foraging as the number one source is where I've kind of come to things mm -hmm. and I realize that it's very hard there are we don't really hear a lot about uh, macronutrients we're obsessed with micronutrients so we're obsessed with vitamins and minerals and uh, bioflavonoids right. and polyphenols and all these things which are now being shown to be incredibly medicinal cancer healing mm -hmm. you know tumor reducing all this magical stuff um, but really, when we take it to food, we need fat, carbohydrates, and proteins. Mm -hmm. So what I realize is that in that spectrum of thinking you need one or the other, forgets that foraging means that there are seasons. 
and there are good years for some things and there are bad years for some things. So what I'm suggesting to the whole community, friends, is that it's not a one or the other scenario and you'll Mm -hmm. go through phases and that's called natural and Mm -hmm. normal. And so it's not about a religion. We're not trying to make a one world food system. But if we start to close the loops and close the loops, I think that is beneficial for all of us as people who want to make a difference, you know, try to start seeing, for example, what we've done in Bolivia with quinoa imports when we have two plants, amaranth, lambs quarters, those are all over the place. They produce grains and Mm -hmm. nobody cares about those plants. And yet, uh, you know, lambs quarters is a a weed in people's gardens that they get rid of to grow cabbages. And quinoa in Bolivia, if you walked past it, you'd be like, I would get rid of that to grow cabbages. (laughs) You know, and so it's just about realizing what we have in front of us and really trying to relocalize Mm -hmm. and, and understanding what it, you know. I think Bruce Damer was taught that that whole idea is liminality. It's going where you need to, where the flow right. goes. Right. You know, it's it's adjusting to what's around you and having no walls stop you from getting to that place. If you need to go there, you go there. Yeah, we were we were in the backyard earlier, and uh, Dan was pointing some some what I would consider weeds out to me, saying, "Oh, this is useful for for this, and this is useful for this." You guys have all this sort of like. <laughs> good food and medicine in your backyard and you just walk all over it. (laughs) It might be the modern secret of 2015 is that we're walking all over food and medicine and it's more nutritious, it's easier to grow, you need no effort. So I call it Litfa Farming. Uh, which is a joke, and I don't know if I can say the F word, yeah, but yeah. Leave, leave it the fuck alone. <laughs> it's Litfa farming. Yeah. Just leave it alone, right. and nature grows vegetables. Yeah. And then it's just yeah. a matter of identifying it and trying to understand. And, you know, plantain, dan- plantago, dandelions, violets, lamb's quarters, uh, purslane, these are all really good foods, and they don't taste as mild as the ones that we're used to, but that's exactly why they're better for us, because that's the flavor of chemistry, and that is actually chemicals that are actually medicinal in the body. You were talking about taste buds earlier, and as far as things like dandelion, I mean, I've eaten dandelion before, it's very strong, sort of... Do you know the flavor? If I ate it? Well, eat it now in your mind. What is the flavor? <laughs> we all know what it tastes like. Like it's a little bitter. I think it's green and bitter, yeah. Bitter, right? So what we know is that bitters... So here's how I practice herbalism. I know that the taste is connected to organs. Mm -hmm. And so when you're actually eating a bitter plant, you're turning on your liver. And so you're cleansing your liver. And you're Mm -hmm. detoxifying your blood as a result. And that's just from one flavor. And so every flavor has a medicinal action on the body. You know, and we don't usually look at that. So when you're eating food and you understand the flavors on your tongue, you understand that your organs are being cycled and cleaned and healed or secreting certain fluids. Mm-hmm. So we also know that bitter is good for the gallbladder. The gallbladder secretes fat, so bitter is an antidote to obesity. Mm-hmm. And look at how many yeah. people hate bitter. Right. <laughs> if, da- if McDonald's started to have dandelion burgers, you <laughs> wait to it. see what happens. <laughs> Everybody would be dieting because they don't want to eat that stuff. <laughs> but it's good medicine. And, and the interesting thing is even further, if you don't taste it on your tongue, it doesn't cause as much of a chemical reaction in your body. Like mm-hmm. the taste is actually essential for physiological response to that. Mm-hmm. So, so it's not even that you can put it in a pill right, and swallow right, right. it down and mm-hmm. hide the flavor. You it's necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, a question I had for you is I, I, uh, I juice. I juice a lot. Do you think that I'm sort of like 
doing nothing for myself because I'm not experiencing the whole cycle of consuming the food and everything. So I think juicing is great for some time. Okay. And and what I've come to realize is that there's probably all these sort of uh, dietary philosophies have a certain time and a certain place because mm-hmm. we, some of us grew up on very bad foods, you know, so right. anything would be better than bad food. Right. But we're not really seeing that it's about how much people are avoiding when they change their diet, Mm. you know, versus what they're adding in. And so with juicing is very good. It can be good, but it's a lot (laughs) of sugar. And so you're getting mainline sugar. And so that's not good for somebody who's a diabetic, Mm -hmm. for example. However, uh, the most important and significant thing I just probably in the last year learned is that the bacteria in your gut, right? The cellulose, the fiber of the vegetable is how the bacteria actually help you break down the sugar. Right. So you're not actually stimulating those bacteria in your gut mm-hmm. to to deal with the sugar that you're putting inside of your body. Mm-hmm. So that's blood sugar regulation. Right. The bacteria are essential to blood sugar mm-hmm. regulation. And you're composting. Think about it. The fiber goes into the bacteria, yeah. right. right? And then it's breaking down the cellulose mm-hmm. and that is their energy. Right. Man, see, I you know I always, recently at least, I've been sort of suspicious about the whole thing, and like I just should eat all this stuff that I juice. So yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. Like, human, I mean, I guess you know I call it like the circumcision of nature. Uh-huh. Everything that comes out of nature, we circumcise it yeah. just uh-huh. a little bit because we right. think we can make it better, yeah. but we don't. We always break it. Uh-huh. And so here's another case where. The cellulose of that carrot is designed to actually stop you from having side effects. It's genius. And so when you eat 20 carrots, your body says, stop it. (laughs) You know, and that's not the mechanism. That mechanism is not present when you juice it. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's okay for some situations. But essentially, pharmaceutical uh, uh, turning a plant such as uh, willow bark, Mm -hmm. salicylic acid into pharmaceutical aspirin has definitely had its side effects. Hmm. Um, I don't even think we need to name them. Probably most people understand. So whenever we're taking something of the ecosystem, right, and this is back to real food as medicine, Mm -hmm. so it turns out that... um, that carrot is medicine as a whole being, you know, and if you eat raw carrots and if you eat, uh, you know, some raw, some cooked, depending on, you know, who wants to debate, Mm -hmm. if you eat a diet that's full of nutritious food, you'll be healthy. Right. Mm. That's the big mysterious secret. (laughs) And, you know, on top of that, stop (laughs) polluting the ecosystem. Right. You know, and whatever's happening in the sky and, Mm -hmm. you know, all kinds of fun levels of things that we have to try to understand our way through so cleansing is important Mm -hmm. for sometimes for some people think about this also in in ayurveda there's the idea that certain foods are catabolic and certain foods are metabolic and so you want to balance that process you don't want to detox 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 if you're already generally healthy and you're wasting away and you're losing 10 pounds uh, a week and this is part of the problem is that under a lot of that philosophy is the idea that I have a demon inside of me, hmm. that I'm toxic, that mm-hmm. I'm dirty, mm-hmm. that I'm still a sinner, and we're trying to juice fast our way <laughs> right. to purging and exercising the demons. Right. Um, and so this is where the fear of everyone having parasites, you mm-hmm. know, and sort of a lot of like, oh, well, you have parasites, you have parasites. Yeah. Do we or do we not? Are they beneficial or are they not? There's right. a whole bunch of not understood stuff. Mm-hmm. Right, and there's a whole sort of economy based off this 
you know, this argument back and forth and yeah. that whole, wow, oh, that's crazy. They always find their way into the discussion with more stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, thank you for, you know, I'm great now. I'm not going to be juicing anymore. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> don't juice as much. if you gave me juice right now, I would definitely drink it. Yeah, right, But right. I wouldn't do it for a year straight. Yeah. Oh, I, I I drink it almost every day. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, compared to eating the sugar of mm-hmm. whatever it is, name fruit your like, roll up, fruit roll up, no, fruit roll you know, up. and that's, that's just uh, sugar. That's all the, I can think of. Yeah, the thing we always have to hearken back to is what would I normally be doing? And uh-huh. so, is juicing bad for your blood sugar? Well, if you're juicing instead of eating boxes of fruit roll ups. Probably a hugely good step, you know, and we're not taking the person uh, to be primary versus the order or the disorder. Like, not everybody is going through the same thing. We have unique uh, necessities with our diets. Yeah. What were were you saying before about uh, quinoa coming over and everything? Um, I feel like there's always – there's either seasonal fads or, like, there's a year fad, like – uh, Brussels sprouts are in or kale is in. Do you think something like once people start to like, okay, um, we're eating more Brussels sprouts, we're eating more vegetables. Um, now that we're eating more plants instead of French fries and other things that soon we'll move on to like, oh, I had lamb's quarter here. <laughs> this like, is, this then, is the ecological trust is that is nature tricking us? Hmm. You see? And that's the really interesting thing. Like, are we actually performing the biological intention we're just confused in our minds and think we're not? Mm. You know, we have this idea that we're separate, that we have minds that have other agendas, ulterior agendas to nature's agenda. You know, and it'd be really funny if it turns out that at the end of all this, we actually were fulfilling nature's biological agenda in some really interesting ways. (laughs) And I think that's happening, um, and there's cases to be made for that. One of the ideas is that you know, now that we're learning about bacteria, gut bacteria, mm-hmm. and how so ninety they did a study ninety percent of uh, serotonin comes from your gut. I, I heard okay. that. Yeah. Whoops. So right. that means <laughs> the bacteria are shitting out right. serotonin, uh-huh. not your brain. Right. You know, and so if we get into like the DMT thing, right? Mm-hmm. Is DMT in the pineal gland? Okay, so it's right. like serotonin molecule, serotonin molecule, serotonin molecule. DMT, what the hell's that? Get rid of it, right? right? right. But that regulatory process uh-huh. is guided by the gut, yeah, and that is bacteria. So bacteria are at the hand of mediating how you feel. Your mind is part bacteria making a decision for you. And so what you eat then actually does chemically influence the choices in the mind and the clarity of perception and how much of your mind is bacteria uh, hypnotizing you to do things. Right, and it's always, you have to say that this silly thing quote that's been quoted for decades you are what you eat yeah right you know I, it, it, too literally <laughs> we didn't realize yeah. how literal that was <laughs> right, we're right. an amalgam we're an ecosystem right. like my mind my me uh it may be that the medical system is about to enter a crux of facing that we're a we mm-hmm. that there's a we here yeah. that each individual is is more like a we sum of parts right? yeah well it it gut bacteria thing is interesting because we were eating yogurt earlier mm-hmm. which is obviously good for your gut bacteria but it was and also it was delicious. yeah it's also com- then right there's <laughs> also Sorry. kombucha which is the part of the reason i started drinking it is for you know it's gut bacterial properties so let me be a debbie downer yeah. again yep so sugar goes into kombucha uh-huh. 
When you ask people who really like kombucha what happens to the sugar, they say, fairies, take the sugar away, <laughs> and it just disappears into nothing. So if you've never thought about there, that, I highly advise trying to understand where all that white sugar goes. Yeah. Um, it's reduced, yes. Uh-huh. It has not disappeared. Right. It's not completely, entirely converted. So first of all, there's a sugar thing with kombucha, and then second of all, I have not been able to verify that kombucha is actually probiotic. I have been able to verify that it has prebiotics, mm-hmm. which I don't know if that means sugar, yeah. right? Sugar it's is a prebiotic yeah. for bacteria because mm-hmm. they eat sugar. So the question is, how do we fish ourselves out of, again, a sort of economic hypism, right? We're being kind of fed into these things. I'm not saying I think kombucha vinegar, I think when you let it go too long, that's actually probably really good. And what I do is mm-hmm. let it go to vinegar, and then I'll just dilute it. So it's the equivalence of using, like, apple cider vinegar diluted in your water. Right. I think that's a better place for mm-hmm. it than mm-hmm. kind of making a carbonated sugar drink. Right. However, cross-comparing, is it better that kids these days grow up on 20 kombuchas right. versus 20 soda. Pepsis? Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's a great step. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least, right. Is At it least. a miracle cure-all? Right. No. That's the problem uh-huh. is that we're always looking for the – corporations to essentially produce us new fads to yeah. cure us of everything instantly yeah, with gen- more money. I generally let my, my kombucha go as long as I can until it's, so it's super, super vinegary. Yeah. And then I'll, I mix it with club soda, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you've got to have the carbon. And again, better than drinking <laughs> right, right. Know, ginger ale. Yeah, something. well, I was a ginger ale oh, yeah. addict for a long there time. There you go. And uh, kombucha helped me move from one to the other. It really did. It's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, and I think that, that's the interesting thing of uh, we need transitions. You know? mm-hmm. We need those little step-by-step-by-step. By step by step, you know. Wow. So, uh, oh, man. I have a question. <laughs> yeah. Of your daily routine. Yeah. You're a forager. Yeah. Oh, when you wake up, what's the first thing you do? Yeah, tell us about a day. So what's yeah, the first thing I did today? Yeah. So I... My friend, I was picking up some milk at a friend's house right. and dropping off some uh, chocolates and things. Uh, we kind of trade. Mm-hmm. And so she was like, yeah, we I have this guest room. You stay here. And I was like, uh, I think I'm going to sleep outside. And they're like, no, no, no. You know, it's a guest room. So I actually found a place to put my hammock in their, wow. the woods in their backyard. <laughs> and I'm like, it'll be okay. Trust me. It'll be great. I do it like, every what, what do you do? Like, what, what happens? If the, and I'm like, no, no, no. Like, you'll get to know. So I, I uh, you know, I slept in a hammock. I slept mm-hmm. great. started to drizzle in the morning. So I love when it rains in a hammock. It's mm. the most soothing thing. I don't get wet. I've already tested that. Yeah. You know, I've already made sure that I don't get soaked. Uh-huh. So. Um, then I woke up and I went to a park and it turns out that in the parking lot there was wineberries everywhere and so my breakfast was wineberries and it's wineberry yes. season wow. so I ate probably 70 or 80 wineberries wow. and then I went to a different park because I was looking for mushrooms uh-huh. essentially it's been raining so it's yeah. mushroom cycle but you know that's the great thing you go towards the mushrooms and then you find oh the wineberry right. store <laughs> and so I was eating tons of wineberries and basically I got so full of wineberries and then I had the yogurt so I was mm-hmm. eating wineberries and yogurt which is pretty nice Um, (laughs) and um, Uh. you know that's that's kind of how it goes and and i put 
some plants in my pocket, so mm-hmm. I was harvesting in the park as well. I was harvesting some violet leaves, some dandelion leaves, yeah. and I sautéed them in the food that we ate yeah. with the chanterelles, mm-hmm. uh, which, which was absolutely actually, delicious, just yeah. so everyone knows. Chris, yeah. thanks for the chanterelles. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, man. In Pennsylvania. Yeah. We totally enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> we got to share a nice... Have you personally ever had an adverse reaction from something you ate? It's totally funny that... Um, I really think that indigenous... So it's funny, a long-winded answer. Indigenous people were practicing the scientific method with trial and error, but actually not being error, not being on the side of error. So we think Ugg, you know, poisoned himself, and then, like, Uncle Ugg just died, and then they're like, don't do that! (laughs) And we have this sort of hierarchical perception as if we were the most intelligent creatures on the planet. Um, In contemplating and sort of meditating on this, I realized that... If you took a pile of poison ivy and put it in a cage with bonobos, you know, what would they do? Would they eat it and drop dead? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Do you think it's Probably likely? not. Yeah. Probably not. They'd check it out. Yeah. They'd yeah. sniff it. Like, they might touch it. Right. They, they'd use their senses and have right. a, an experience that looked like slowly engaging it, you know, mm-hmm. over a trial. Mm-hmm. Right, so then, okay, so obviously our indigenous ancestors were stupider than bonobos, right? <laughs> okay, let's take a dog, right? right? So what if you took poison hemlock and you gave it to a dog? Would the dog just eat tons of it and then die and be like, oh, I shouldn't have eaten that? So we're obviously our indigenous ancestors were dumber than dogs and uh-huh. bonobos in this case. <laughs> so there's really no case to be made for right. the fact that we couldn't do that too, uh-huh. where we could slowly and gradually get to know a plant slowly, slowly, and incorporate that into our diet. That probably, we often forget time as the factor. And this, in this case, it's a lot of time. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the fact that a deer eats four foods, you know, and it takes about 10,000 years for that deer to change a food. Mm. And so we had time. And of yeah, course, right. then the 50,000-year mark where the brain doubles in size right. and we have no idea what that's about. That's right. always a fun one. Neocortex yeah. and yeah. all that, yeah. I always thought about the first time someone ate an artichoke. Because <laughs> you're like, <laughs> really, what's good is the heart, but yeah. you just have this thing, you're like, uh, this one's bad, and you get cl- you're like, well, this one's a little bit better, and then you finally get down. Yeah, it's there's some other ones too, like a lobster. You're like, I'm gonna eat that. Yeah, you're like but that looks like a weirdo. Well, it's like what you were saying before about when you were a kid, you never ate something that you know be- before you even knew anything about this stuff. You never picked some berry that was poisonous and ate it. I didn't happen to, and if I did, and yeah. if I touched it to my tongue and it tasted bad, you, I spit it out. Right, exactly. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that's probably what happened. I don't recall that, but mm-hmm. I'm sure that I touched things to my tongue, right? This right. is unknowingly. This is without being taught. Exactly. Right? Yeah. That my natural instinct might have been that I would touch it to my tongue and be like, ooh, that's not good. Mm-hmm. That doesn't taste good. And so that's a 99% rule in foraging is like things that don't taste good are usually poisonous right. good is relative it doesn't mean to King Tung who's addicted to sugar and salt right. and so things taste different than sugar and salt right. so what I realize is there's kind of a poisonous taste to some plants and it's different than the bitter taste but here biologically when I give someone a bitter plant what I see about their biology is they're reacting as if it was a poisonous plant. Mm. And they're spitting it out mm-hmm. as if they've been poisoned. And their tongue is confused between the difference of poisonous and bitter mm. because we haven't trained ourselves. Right. You know. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, permaculture. and who, What do you think the most, import, the, the most important work being done 
in permaculture is right now? Oh, well... First, you know, wait, first, can you just explain what permaculture is? So yeah. <laughs> permaculture was basically started by Bill Mollison, who had the idea of creating regenerative systems instead of sort of monocultural agriculture systems, which uh, deplete soil and cause right. basically drought and devastation. So he started digging into this uh, idea of basically making what's kind of the reverse of that, which is the polyculture and starting to uh, remediate soil through actually planting, so rotating crops, you mm. know, being mindful mm -hmm. of cycles, larger right. cycles. From there, it's gone into a lot of innovation and a lot of different uh, stuff from digging swales, which is water movement. So some people are all into moving water. Water is the most important right. thing. Other people are into composting. Other people are into... Uh, creating regenerative homes, mm -hmm. you know, and some people are into social permaculture, which touches into ritual, uh, you know, magic, shamanism, right, things yeah. like that. So within that spectrum, I mean, I'm sort of a, I'm a dandelion in the permaculture weird in the s <laughs> in world in the sense that, you know, I'm still telling permaculturalists, like, leave it alone. Uh -huh. Just, just leave eat it the, the fuck weeds. Alone, right? yeah. And... <laughs> And so, you know, the permaculture world says, well, there's zone four, right? But most people don't have a large enough plot for zone four, mm -hmm. which is like, oh, there's the woods. And so often what people don't realize is that a meadow would either become a lawn or a farm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if it's a meadow, it also produces food and medicine. It's just wild food and medicine. That's right. where carbohydrates were. And so most indigenous cultures would farm carbo carbs. And then they would hunt and gather everything else. Mm -hmm. You know, so taro root in Papua New Guinea or cassava in South America, all these tuber, you know, Chinese yam, all these tuberous roots, yeah. which would be your carb source because it's very hard to forage carbs. And then they'd hunt, or, hunt and gather. Mm -hmm. So that's how most indigenous cultures uh, lived. Right. And so the inventive agriculture. So the problem is that permaculture is still using a European-based agricultural model, which some permaculturalists and it's moving more towards understanding uh, how to interact with ecosystem where we're touching it less you know we're prodding it less hmm. the idea of working 12 hour days um, isn't the only option at hand so that's kind of a little a little bit of permaculture but uh, Costa made his documentary Inhabit everybody yeah. check it out and have yeah, wait, wait. it can you just film. tell tell everyone about it right now so yeah. my Please. friend costa wonderful friend costa actually got his uh, documentary funded um uh by kickstarter which mm -hmm. is a really great beautiful victory for all of us to understand yeah. Yeah. what's happening in that world but basically he uh filmed a bunch of permaculture teachers and and produced this wonderful documentary so check that out. <laughs> how, do, how could people find it? <laughs> uh, inhabit. The, it's either inhabitmovie or inhabitfilm.com. But if you type inhabit permaculture, you'll definitely get there. We'll put a link on it. Yeah, yeah we'll find it. it. <laughs> well, all right. So tell tell us about the some of the classes that you teach. Let's cool. get let's get. Let's get into Return to Nature. Now. Yes. Awesome. So basically sort of the adverse of that, which would be don't mow it or till it. Mm -hmm. Watch it. Learn about it. Try to understand what the interaction is happening here. So with saying a polyculture, people think three sisters, corn, beans, and squash. Like, mm -hmm. I'm going to consciously plant a polyculture, and they take these three plants and they put them together. But if you observe ecosystems, they are polycultures. They're already doing, nature has already got 
you know, the throttle, you know, doing yeah. something there. So um, for me, it's a, a matter of looking deeper into what is happening, what exactly is happening. So there is a, a geological aspect, there's a botanical aspect, there's a mycelial aspect, the soil is important, the air. So all these elements come together and create ecosystems. And so essentially what Return to Nature is the basis of is, well, how to regenerate ecosystems. You know, how do we allow uh, the ecosystem to be based on food? Uh, you know, not to the exploitation for humans, but uh, a regenerative model that actually is helpful for everything around. Um, so it's really looking at kind of what were indigenous practices, mm -hmm. what's feasible for our modern time, how does it tie into environment, and how does it also tie into sort of economics? Mm -hmm. You know, and that's something that I feel really passionate about is yeah. local economy. And, like, as a New Jerseyan, you know what I mean? It's really interesting that, like, yeah. we're, we're not seeing the sort of guarantees. So I think the idea of localizing and regenerating mm -hmm. sort of a cottage industry is uh, at least a beautiful vision, if not totally feasible. Yeah. Um, so, you know, at classes I basically take people around and I let them sort of engage their senses in the plant world and I'll teach them, I'll pick up a leaf and say, you know, this leaf has this medicinal aspect and that medicinal aspect yeah. and, you know, oh, here's a dandelion and you can saute this and it's great and uh -huh. eat more of it and it's good because it's bitter and bitter is good for your liver and it stabilizes blood sugar right. and just really trying to help people see nature deeper mm -hmm. and I'm trying my best to stay in an, a memory of what it used to be like to not know every almost every plant I see. So <laughs> when I go in the woods, it's all of these uses yeah. and, and profound aspects, yeah. and I want to help turn people on to realizing that you know it's a it's a it's a necessary empowerment. I don't think it's anything. If we didn't have a food industry providing us mm -hmm. food, then we would have never lost that. Right. That's not something you lose. It's like losing your legs. Right. It doesn't you make know, sense. Right? It's a very important uh, practice. But, of course, you know, the Great Depression, it was there. World War Two, it was there. People were saying, oh, well, maybe I will try those dandelions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, go to uh, returntonature.us for more information. Right? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> what kind of... Um, what kind of, like, people are in your classes? You see it's more of, like, the younger kids that are into it, uh, maybe kids that their parents are forcing them into, or just curious A uh, big resounding yes. <laughs> I think, I think like most, a lot of what I found myself doing is kind of therapizing for the ch child, essentially. Letting the parent uh, be a little more hands-off with their kid's exploration and just understanding what's safe and what's not. I realized that I had that kind of free time and I didn't poison myself and yet I know that people, most people don't know enough to let their child interact with the ecosystem and know what's safe. So a lot of emails I get uh, the other day, someone was saying, you know, my tongue, my my son touched a puffball to his tongue, you know, is he going to die? Should I be in the <laughs> hospital? I'm like, no problem. It's <laughs> so it's, it's like we have, you know, uh, Richard Liu wrote a book, uh, Last Child in the Woods, and it's Nature Deficit Disorder, and it's a real issue. And so Nature Deficit Disorder. NDD, wow, you know. that's a good one. And so we don't know what happens if a kid touches a puffball on his mouth, and generally nothing. And so right. does the kid know better than the parent, or the parent know better than the kid? Well, mm. if we look around, 
I would rather vote for five-year-old children. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think that's that would be a great choice. Right. Kids would be like, maybe we shouldn't cut down the whole Amazon rainforest. <laughs> <Of course>. Right? <laughs> like, wait, wait, wait. It makes you breathe. Right. Oh, don't do it. <laughs> you know. Right. That's what we're missing, essentially, that childlike wonder, that ability to explore. So a lot of it is really helping people interface with... There's another common myth, right? If you touch poisonous mushrooms, you may get poisoned. It's not true at all. You can touch any mushroom in the world. So people are like, oh, you know, I'd love... I always wanted to learn about mushrooms, but I'm just so afraid to poison myself. And I'm like... Well, then don't eat them. Right. <laughs> Learn about them. Learn about them right. and juggle them, Take score them print them, right. do whatever you want. Just don't eat it until you're sure. And that should be the same rule with everything else, you know? Yeah. Go to the grocery store, you know, make sure that you know the ingredients in your food. Spend mm-hmm. some time with it. Spend mm-hmm. some time with it. Have a relationship. Develop a depth of understanding source. And that's what that's people that. are missing. That's what yeah. this is all about. It's a reforming a relationship with nature. Right? Yeah. And, yeah. And bringing it closer in the sense of, you know, we have this illusion that economy means job creation and therefore putting, like, commerce, putting more people in between you and the origin of what you're going mm-hmm. towards. But that's not working. It's not working as a, as a global right. idea. It's and, not sustainable. And it's sure not sustainable. Um, but, you know, there are alternatives, like localizing, and that's what all sane people are probably doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> what about your uh, Seeking the Medicine series? Cool, yeah. So, uh, you know, I have this vision to kind of do ethnobotanical. Like, if I went to college, which I didn't, I didn't really go to high school much either. Um, (laughs) uh, I did go to school high a couple times, though. So, you know, but um, I think what I wanted to do was study, like, uh, indigenous anthropology and Mm -hmm. specifically plants and and ethnobotany. So I got into that stuff, like, really early, like 18, 19, lesson in Terrence McKenna, uh, you know, getting me into the good stuff, like, you know, Richard Evan Schulte's, like, some real serious understanding of indigenous work with plants, and so I always kind of engaged them like Mm -hmm. that from a very young age. So, uh, you know, with that, uh, I just wanted to kind of preserve whatever I can of culture, that's still working with plants, with herbs, you know, witch doctors who are going out there and digging their own roots Mm -hmm. and and providing healing. So I've gone to India to sort of document plants and and understand and and follow the flow to meeting whoever's out there that wants to see, you know, I'm sitting there like, you know, touching a jackfruit or something. Somebody comes up to me, they're like, you know about this plant? And I'm like, what do you know? (laughs) You know, and just kind of getting into that flow. Right, and having a a good conversation and learning. Yeah, and documenting it. So I've gone there. I went to Columbia, um, and I went to North Carolina to hang out with, like, some really good tradition of people out there, Appalachian, you know, healing traditions. So I uh, documented, I filmed every day. On a laptop, I was dumping stuff yeah. like on the side of the road as I was foraging. So basically, I have it all shot, but it's like hours and hours of work, which I'm too busy picking my dinner to then. Like my friend Costa, you know, says mm-hmm. he spent like nine hours a day, you know, for like six yeah. months. So I'm not yeah. gonna do that. And yeah, because you have to watch it and yeah. then write down and then watch it again. Yeah. That's, so I have it shot, and I'm just looking for post-production yeah. people to sort of work with me on that, and yes. then do a you know develop a series. I really want to 
you know, go to these indigenous cultures. And the thing I feel like I could do that some people couldn't is I wouldn't bring a giant film crew and I wouldn't make right. it awkward and I wouldn't want it to be synthetic. I would want to develop relationships. You so want to impose I, yourself wh- on a, a what culture. I, what I did with India is, you know, I talked to these people and I made contacts and I made yeah. connections and I built trust and we had a good time and I didn't have a camera in front of their face yeah. the whole time. Right. So that one I sort of more wrote about than you know, the idea of filming, and then I felt like I could come back and say, you know, do you mind if we do some okay. filming and stuff like that? Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's a good way to go about it. Just so yeah. everyone knows, uh, if you go to returntonature.us, you can donate to this project. Yes, <laughs> you can. <laughs> it doesn't seem like Dad wants to talk about it, but he does accept donation. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. I'm always open to anybody uh, donating for the cause. I mean, you know, the funny thing is, uh, this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's it. That's yeah. my malevolent idea. He he he. If I had a million dollars, I'd be culturally preserving anthropological yeah. understanding of plant medicine. <laughs> you're, out, you're out there making like a, a real, you're having a real impact on on the planet. And like, how does that feel? Uh, I, I mean, I, we all are. Like right. the thing, you know. I feel like what ayahuasca said to me, uh-huh. Yae in Colombia. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It said. You know, realize the significance of every action and realize that you are ripping open the matrix. And, you know, it's it's hard. I, I My life, since I'm semi-nomadic, I mm-hmm. try to, like, even from when I'm at a place, I try to really feel like when is the time to leave? You mm-hmm. know, where should I go? Where should I be? Where should I be? Where should I be? And I'm constantly following that flow to mushrooms and plants and yeah. rare plants. And, like, all this stuff happens. You know, a deer sighting, a bear sighting, like... Eagles flying out of somewhere, you know, a, right. a swimming hole, uh, a spring, you know, just really trying to open up to that flow. And, uh, you know, within that is where all the magic is. Yeah. If you become, you open yourself to be accepting to the universe, the universe will reward you, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it teaches and it talks. So, yeah. you know, one of the things that I spent my time basically on my back uh, drinking when I drank the medicine yeah. and I couldn't move in the sense of it was it was showing me the weight of karma essentially the weight of all actions and the significance of everything ever said yeah. and everything that will be said and every act and so you know it's really interesting because we have so much potential huh. uh, that we don't realize that we have and most of it is based on the fear of dying you right. know of course. and and yet we're racing there mm-hmm. and you know we have to resolve the fact that it's limited time right. and we can somehow rip open the matrix and like culture jamming is this really oddly interesting thing that's now a phenomena um so abby hoffman if you're familiar threw all the money down on wall street wrote Mm -hmm. a book then was like kind of famous as a result or infamous as a result of that you know then he gets into bad like people harass him but uh, you know, for example, you could, you know, say a couple words on Facebook and maybe have, you know, Fox News knocking down your door. Right. <laughs> uh, and it's serious at this point. It's real, you uh-huh. know, and you can kind of pull these forces right. uh, to have conversations with them in a very interesting way. I mean, you know, Obama is accessible through email. Right. Somehow, you know, right. like yeah. some stuff yeah. is it's happening. It's not that far-fetched. It's, right. it's yeah. really kind of we're globalizing yeah. for better or for worse. Yeah. Chris always talks about this. It's amazing how you can sort of you're in contact with everyone all the time. So, I mean, for this podcast, for example, when we reach out to somebody like Dennis McKenna, for example, uh, 
it's easy to sort of get his contact information. Although we got went about it a different way. We met him at Cosm first at Alex yeah. Gray's. But uh, you know, it's with Lorenzo Haggerty, for example. You know, just sent him an email. It's sort yeah. of like you know, it's yeah, really it's, amazing. And, <laughs> and what it comes down to is really felt sense, uh, mm-hmm. intuition, and we're in some sort of intuitive training, yeah. and somehow we've stripped down some of the. A human contact and we're spending a lot more time with mm. feeling things out and so mm. it's interesting that everybody who writes an email to you you get a vibe you get a sense yeah. you can tell if they're Absolutely. pissed off even if they mm-hmm. say nice words uh-huh. right. and that's a really interesting thing that we're kind of uh, deepening our level of uh, internet you know it's mm-hmm. it's perhaps uh, on the phase of telepathy in the sense of it's a training towards realizing that perception goes beyond you know, looking at a person's body yeah. movements and hearing their small, small mouth right. noises. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> You're absolutely right. I do. I, I feel that every time email somebody, there's a very yeah. strong vibe. Tangible and, impressions yeah. off of everything, uh-huh. you know, and that's the thing as we become more sensitive, then everything has tangible impressions yeah. coming off of it. Yeah, I, uh, for Dr. Bruce Damer, who we spoke to recently, I had uh, email back and forth with him for two months before he. He came on the show, and I felt like we were best friends before I even heard his voice. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. yeah and I felt the same way. I barely talked to yeah. him. <laughs> I mean, you know, again, going back to this idea, well, if the universe really is made out of magic, mm-hmm. and we really are um, sort of speaking telepathy, you know, what, what the ayahuasca said was that telepathy is happening. You're overestimating it. Mm-hmm. That That's actually where you feel all of your pain. This yeah. is what this is all about it's all in your body don't you feel that gurgling you know don't you feel that person looking at you behind your head Mm -hmm. like so these patterns and these impressions are actually being brought everywhere and so if that's all true then we are kind of enhancing our ability to conjure each other Mm -hmm. to call in the right community to say hey out there um so you know like McKenna's thing, find the others. Right. One of the, yeah. which <laughs> exactly. uh, you know was attributed. He attributed that to Leary, and right. Leary uh, said he never said that. So they all, uh, <laughs> you know, we don't know, but it's it's becoming sort of find yourself yeah. with the us. Right. You know that we're not uh, sort of so separated anymore. Mm-hmm. That we're coming closer and closer mm-hmm. together. It's happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This sort of this is the the. You know, whatever 2012 continued, like mm-hmm. it's it's a process of awakening. It's a process of realizing that vision, that dream. Mm-hmm. You know, not to mention, I think that 2012 was a, a placebic bomb that McKenna planted on yeah. us. He wanted to rip open the Matrix. He, mm-hmm. yeah, he was sort of, uh, I think he, he was very um, jovial about the whole thing. And yeah. People mis- seem to misunderstand that. He, I feel like from listening to his stuff, he knew that if we didn't make an apocalypse, mm-hmm. that we'd end up in the Judeo-Christian apocalypse. Right. Yeah. That we have to somehow rip open the matrix and make a sort of inner apocalypse. Like, you know, the idea that if you die, you know, are you going to bring every... If, is everybody going to die with you right. or is it your own apocalypse, mm-hmm. you know? Right. And so, but if you go through that inner apocalypse, then you don't have to pull the whole world into it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, but that's the shamanic death and rebirth, you That's know? right. The realizing that this is a temporary vessel right. and I'm going to have to let go of it. Eventually, and, right? <laughs> yeah. We all do. Yeah. <laughs> but then... Then what? Then we become one with the universe, right? Well, there might be some intermediate stages between the oneness of the yeah. universe, or it might be some choice-related thing. Mm-hmm. Do you 
play the game show. Right. Do, you, do you want to become one with the great light, or would you like to be an emanation and choose your emanation wisely? Or, you know, some of the things that I've seen. Uh, one time I smoked uh, purple salvia. I think it was 50 or 60 times oh, or something. Geez. And I actually uh, felt like that Buddhist mandala like yeah. the Kala yeah, yeah. Chakra, uh-huh. I, I was outside of time. Like yeah. it kind of like expanded me out of the periphery of the circle. Huh. And then as I realized that I wanted to be a something and a somebody, I started kind of narrowing myself uh-huh. back down in. And it was like, you know, you get outside of the right. periphery and then the attachment starts to manifest you yeah. into form. And whatever right. you have nostalgia for, you become. Right, and you sort of reform yourself after that. Jump into a womb. You're like, that's the one that will enable me to do all that. You know? Oh man. Boink. Oh man. Is there anything that you want to? Is there anything that you want to talk about? I keep, I keep asking you. We keep asking you questions. Oh, I love the questions. Feel free to ask any questions. What's uh? You you told me that you don't eat gluten. Is that an allergy thing, or is that like a, a conscious choice that you make? No, it's not a conscious choice, and I I would love to do it. Um, yeah. You know, underlying that is I think that sourdoughing is the essential missing piece. We used to sourdough all gluten, mm-hmm. and that means basically have yeast eat the gluten first, so it reduces the gluten. It's kind of like the sugar in the kombucha, right? Right. Um, we're, we're not using these processes. We are taking foods from other cultures, but we're not using the cultural processing mm-hmm. that was needed. And so gluten is toxic to the body if it's not reduced to a certain degree by fermentation. And so now I'm screwed at the point where I get psoriasis. Ever since yeah, I, I had Lyme mm-hmm. disease, I took antibiotics in 2010. I definitely took a lot of herbs as well. And since then, um, I've been having displaying psoriasis uh, huh. when I eat gluten. And it took a while to figure that out, but I can basically right. turn it on for a doctor. It's great. Um, I ate preservatives the other day, and I didn't realize they were in the food, and I had psoriasis for three days. Oh. I was showing it off. Right. And then literally it's gone. Wow. So it's definitely – so it's multifactorial. Yeah. So it's the fact that I have this, that, the other thing. I got antibiotics several times in my life. I grew up on Coca-Cola, Hot Pockets, right. like all of these things together. Then getting Lyme disease on top of that is just like the shutdown. Right. Yeah. yeah. And and what it is is the great cleanse. It's the great purge. Mm-hmm. And this stuff starts coming out of the lymph system, which is something that we in Western medicine don't address at all. Mm-hmm. Like the thyroid and right. the endocrine system and the connection to the lymph system as far as actually developing immune function. Like, you grow immune function. Immune function is something that you expose yourself to Mm -hmm. systematically to develop your immunity. You know, that's antibodies, and we create them by uh, exposure. How did you get Lyme disease? Uh, Being a nature boy. (laughs) Like, New Jersey is so bad Mm -hmm. with Lyme. Mm -hmm. Um, The Pine Barrens specifically. So Mm -hmm. that's like blueberries as far as you can see, you know, but you got to work with the ticks and um, for a while, I just wanted to live in, like, a Native American shelter, like mm-hmm. a teepee or something. And I did the best I could with fighting off ticks. But eventually I got into a yeah. hammock and realized that, you know, that's probably the way to go. Better so to be off the ground, right? Better to be <laughs> off the ground. And, uh, you know, I, th- I think it's basically one of my strong herbal callings now to work with Lyme disease. It's going to become huh. a huge issue. Yeah. It might be the one. I know a couple of people have got it this year already. Oh, yeah. The CDC estimates... Uh, 300,000 cases per year and even that's low. It used to be 30,000 cases. Nobody knows what's going on. There's a huge brewing 
little tick. Do you teach a class on this? Tick, yes. Really? Yes, lots of classes on Lyme awareness, tick awareness. The problem is if I start at a plant walk and somebody asks me about tick, it has to be a tick class because you can't forage (laughs) unless you become hyper aware of your body. Like It's amazing as a teacher. So I try to look at it as what is the ecological function? How is this teaching me? And so I've reclaimed the sense of my feet and my ankles, and I realize how important leg hair is. Sorry, women. Like Mm. This is amazing, or at least people who shave. Whoever you are who shaves. We just had a conversation about this the other day. Um, you feel like that was a thing for yeah. parasites. The like the body has a need for hair when you live in a wild situation right, right. because otherwise you'd be covered in parasites. Huh. Hmm. Wow, that's super. You know, I was going to ask you: Do you feel like a heightened sense of your body now that you're spend so much time? Yeah, the outdoors. Yeah, and with my hair so long, and with with everything, like with how much I walk barefoot, and. Right. Um, you know, working with plants and working with plant medicine, and it all brings awareness. And the thing is, once you start to gain awareness, it's about how to know how to have a boundary around that awareness. Otherwise, it's like you know, sitting in the subway and feeling the pain of everyone in the subway is yeah. not exactly Isn't the power. There's a word for that. Uh, empath, empathy. Yeah. Em- empath. Most of us are the empaths of our right. of our family units. Mm-hmm. Like we kind of were. Dealing, trying to drink a lot of that, mm-hmm. um, and that's where the 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 purga, la purga in in the yahi phenomena is very Im- interesting as a psychic phenomena, not mm-hmm. just a physicality. Right. Uh, it's like Jesusifying. It's like purging for the sins of all humanity or something. Yeah. You saying you feel that? Yeah, you go, you and go I think through most one... people feel that, like they're yeah. purging out genetic demons that have been in their lineage for right. thousands mm-hmm. of years. It's like the goop is in us and we need to get it out and it's not our goop and so a lot of the stuff that people even face is possibly not theirs you know so Mm. um, the stresses and the inflammation and the pain that people feel is like genetic and it's psychic and it's energetic and it's all over people and you know, nobody's burning sage to clean their energetic fields. So, right. you know, it just builds up and builds up and uh-huh. becomes toxic. And then we spit it on somebody else and we play past the hot potato. That's right. And that's mm-hmm. called a normal human family, right? right? We all have post-traumatic stress disorder <laughs> right. ancestrally, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, we still didn't address the big thing like, wait, what happened? Like there were indigenous people here and yeah. now they're kind of in like concentration camps. Yeah, and we right. learned about like Hitler and what is the connection there? I mean... That's not resolved. Right. You know, slavery, that's not resolved. Right, exactly. Didn't yeah. you say that in Texas they just printed books where they didn't put in... Uh, anything about Jim Crow, anything about slavery, yeah. anything about like uh, racial segregation. So yeah. I, I, don't know what, I don't know what that's about. Yeah. Man. It's about denial and, right. and, and <clears throat> the demons of suppression Suppress of progress. The demons, yeah. And the interesting thing about it is we have one beneficial thing, which is that old ideas die with old people. Yeah, and it's true. So at least that's <laughs> At least we hope, though. At least we hope. Well, they might be immortal with all the, like, genetic modification. Yeah. And, right. Jeez. Yeah. So, They'll so be Botoxed in their heart <laughs> muscles. So what is one small change that people listening to this right now? can make that can be have an impact on their life Want something really easy to do something small easy great i mean go barefoot mm-hmm. you know walk in the woods barefoot reconnect with the earth hug right? a tree yeah, um literally eat the closest to hand-picked you can drink wild water put your feet in a stream 
even if it's a little dirty. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, run around outside. Go try to find a deer and try to stalk it before it sees you and see how smart deer are. Um, You know, get your senses awakened by understanding sort of primitive practices, right? Mm -hmm. So when you're out and you're walking, realize that every animal is being informed of your walking by the birds and they're alarming all around you and every other animal is hearing that. And so when you go into the forest, you don't even see what actually is because (laughs) you've caused such a disturbance that every animal has run 30 feet. So learn how to walk where you don't set off that alarm. (laughs) Tom Brown. Yeah, I yeah. mean, that's a lot of beautiful <laughs> stuff that he's done and they teach there. Uh-huh. So, Are you familiar with the term medicine spot? It's, yeah. It's Tom Brown, yeah. yeah. It's Tom yeah. Brown, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. freaking Tom Brown. <laughs> uh, I yeah, know, I mean, I don't that. know who freaking Tom Brown is. Uh, he's a teacher from New Jersey now. Yeah. He? he is. Yeah. Have you ever had the, the pleasure of meeting him? Uh, I don't know that he's meetable. Right. It's, he's kind of like. Uh, He's kind of up there, man. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, he surrounds himself in unmeetability. Uh-huh. Wow. I love the the idea of the medicine spot, though. Yeah. It's when you're walking through the woods and you feel a spot that you, you just feel connected to. And, and you're supposed to stay there and meditate. You're supposed yeah. to get naked and lay down <laughs> on the ground. Yeah, yeah, Become one. Totally, I love but it. But I've totally walked through the woods and be like, wow, this spot, I like the spot. to me, right? Well, it's interesting because, again, you're picking up on resonances. And, like, there are these... Under the conscious mind is a world full of tangible resonances. And it takes time to start discerning them. And they're all different. And there's a lot of stuff. So you can get impressions off of an old bottle. You know, you can go to sleep with an old piece of glass under your bed and you can have interesting dreams mm-hmm. that might tie you to that object. Like, right. There's a lot of phenomena within sort of consciousness that unfortunately we kind of close the book on. So, mm-hmm. for example, right, say there's one American statistic. How many Americans have a dream where their dead ancestor comes to visit them after right. the ancestor dies? I've been there. Yeah. I'm Probably everybody. <laughs> Almost everybody. Right? Yeah. And we're just like, Probably wow, everybody. <laughs> that's pretty weird. Let's just not study Not talk that. about it, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Moving on. So, you know, in one sense, all you need is one of those to back the yeah. whole world into a corner and be like, wait, you realize that? So it's in a way, you know, we had religion. They tried to explain the phenomenon of death. Mm-hmm. They couldn't do it. Science stepped right. up to the plate. They're like, we'll do it. Yeah, we'll, we'll and try. they haven't gotten any closer. Yeah. And that's uh, a beautiful opportunity for the next step which it really seems like psychedelic medicines um, show you the after death state Mm -hmm. and it's very real seeming when it's there and it's very funny who anybody who denies that most of the people who deny that don't take them right Right. very interesting phenomena dismiss it just because it happened when you're tripping doesn't mean it's not truth oh no I I ask our guests all the time do you think that there's a, it, do you think that it matters whether the experience is real uh, that you're having under I don't no it doesn't matter no, if doesn't. you if you feel calmer about dying right. and you suddenly have a better outlook on life and yeah. you feel like you can breathe mm-hmm. deeper that's more effective yeah. than placebo right, and right. that's more effective than most statistics like one of the great things is they did that uh, study on cessation of smoking, right? Mm-hmm. And it was like 80 percentile. Yeah, and like the patch right. gets 20 yeah. <laughs> percent. Like the best right. thing that the economy right. is trying to throw but at But taking some mushrooms on one time, yeah. 
80%. That's, that's, that's the crazy Dennis thing. McKenna's talked to us about that exact study at the Hefter, Hefter Research Institute. It's like and John eight, Hopkins is doing 80%. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. There's nothing even close. That's the beautiful thing right. is we're, we're, those characters are very intelligently yeah. bringing, okay, wait, no medicinal benefit? Yeah. How about just a little medicinal little, benefit? Yeah. Because if you juxtapose that with what's going on pharmaceutically, I yeah. mean, people are dying left and right. Side effects, you know, the commercial mm-hmm. may cause stupidity, right. death, yeah, right. convulsions, your cat will die just yeah. from you taking it. <laughs> but like you said, you have to revamp the whole system because that model doesn't work with the current system a one-time deal doesn't make people billions of dollars right you know and that's the whole problem with that whole industry is that you get to take this pill every day for fucking 15 years until you croak in your bed but if you like i mean you know in one way there it's like the most ridiculous way of thinking about it is like they're just trying to get you to wake up and they're saying like look you're so asleep that Mm -hmm. we're just like selling you these pills that do nothing but harm you like get up like just wake up like I don't want to be doing this to you but you're just I'm (laughs) punching you in the face and you know stop making me punch you stop making me punch you right and that's you know that's that's what we we try to do here with with the psychedelic medicines it's we need to cure this this PTSD that we're talking about from our ancestors, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. And what better way than talking to them right. under the influence of, you know, some very powerful and yeah. beautiful, you know, sort of medicines. But I think we're doing a good thing by talking to people like you yeah. and talk to people like Dennis and just mm-hmm. keeping the conversation rolling. Right. It is just a matter of education. Right. It really right. Just no, exactly. Is a that's the fear education. and I think that's the yeah. root of why people aren't going towards nature, mm-hmm. why people aren't eating other things and exploring. Right. It's fear. Think about fear is the le- base. Leaves of three, leave them be, yeah. right, is what people tell their kids. Mm-hmm. Right. Raspberries have leaves of three. Strawberries have leaves of three. Mm-hmm. So many benevolent foods yeah. and fruits right. that kids should be out there picking, and then they get this blanket statement, and it's really just... Learn about here's what poison ivy right, looks right. like. Right. Don't touch this one on your face or wipe your butt <laughs> with it. This is strawberries. Right. Eat these. Right. You know, and it's, it's just a matter of refining the educational models that we have. Um, but this is where, you know, if we just take it, it's ours right. in the sense that education is online as much as it is in Harvard University. Mm-hmm. You know, like YouTube is <laughs> right. educating the people. There's no excuse anymore. Yeah. There's, right. There's no excuse anymore. And it's not even, it's unavoidable right. uh, in the sense of it's all accessible through your fingertips. Right. Yeah. And it's just a matter of you saying, wait, really, anything? Anything? <laughs> right. anything? anything you want to learn. Anything? About you know, <laughs> Literally and, anything. Yeah, going down the <laughs> rabbit hole and, you know, then it's possible that the universe takes over your mm-hmm. educational uh, experience yeah. through coincidences and gets you to some deep cavern of the, right. the psychedelic universe. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, so what's the message, man? What's the message you want to leave everyone? <laughs> Return to <Yeah>. nature. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's why I called it that because I, in questing and trying to understand, like, what is the real basic message here? It's just, you know, we don't have to make a duality between nature and human endeavor. Um, that we can actually align. So, you know, biomimicry over technology, you know, Mm -hmm. understand that dandelions are the best solar panel that you've ever Mm -hmm. found, and they're completely biodegradable. They're turning light into sugars, feeding it to bacteria in their roots. The bacteria secrete acid. The acid breaks down the rock. The rock is minerals. The minerals are then drank Mm -hmm. into the plant body. 
okay, there's a symbiotic relationship right. going on that we know nothing about, and we mm-hmm. need to get hip with it. Otherwise, we're going to get the eject button. Yeah. You know, we think of individuality. There's no individuality. There's community. Yeah. So We're all the same. Yeah. You know, there's this philosopher, um, Martin Heidegger. Yeah. He talks about there's these people who always say, like, oh, I'm going to do it tomorrow. I'm going to do it. And then there's people, there's two ends of the spectrum. There's that end, like, oh, I'm going to get there. It's just my hobby now. And then there's people who live authentically and for their calling. And I think that's you. And I have utmost respect for that. Yeah, man. And I hope totally. we just push that wave farther and farther. So I'm wonderful. So wonderful, like, meeting you today and, like, having this experience, having yeah, this, this talk great. with you. Great. It's been, like, such a great night. You know? It's also <laughs> been great to podcast face-to-face. Yeah. yeah. We haven't done yeah. it in months. <laughs> yeah. like, to be able to provide the, yeah. the squared circle. Yeah, I mean, I think what motivates me is a strong realization that death can come at any time. And, and that's, honestly, that's part of Heidegger's spiel, too, yeah. is that death is coming. And there's people like, who realize so that lucky. and live yeah. now. Yeah, you just it's, rip I, it I know everyone says it. It's, be, it's he, his final, like, the, the culmination of it is, like, now is the time to do yeah. it. It's always now. Uh-huh. It's but never later. It's right now. And that's uh, the great lesson of McKenna dying of a right. brain tumor in a way, right. which is Mushroom not shape. something that's talked about. But nice. that is a cultural understanding of, uh, you know, reevaluating purpose and, and work. So that, yeah. in my life, has, has helped me to understand, okay, well, do I want to be an intellectual speaker, right? Or do I want to touch, you know, what is the baseline that people need that just breaks them open. Mm-hmm. I think you're doing both. Well, that's, yeah. the, that's the hopeful balance, and that's right. the left brain and the right brain, right. and right. Uh, a little bit of facts to convince the, the... You know, one of the great things is like people like Paul Stamets, people like Terrence McKenna, people mm-hmm. like Dennis McKenna, people like Stephen Harrod Buhner, all these people have written the books and provided all the citing yes. and all the facts, and like mm-hmm. they put it out there. So in a sense, what I'm able to build now is like, look, this is just the way it is. If you... If you want to argue this, go look at Stephen Buhner's book, his, all right. his references, and mm-hmm. go argue with a medical journal. Right, exactly. You know, <laughs> yeah, and like, this is right. the way it is now, and there's a yeah. symbiotic relationship of nature. Uh-huh. And so now we have psychedel- uh, uh, psilocybin mushrooms regrowing neurons. Yeah. Like, oh, that is so backing into a corner because, yeah. like, oh, drugs are bad for right. you, right? <laughs> How about psilocybin regrowing brain tissue? How about all the end of it, evidence now with THC oil shrinking tumors? Yeah, yeah and cancer cells. Yeah. This, it's happening. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's... Well, the evidence is there, but what will happen as a result, I think, is largely based on the people not producing a they. Mm-hmm. And then the mm-hmm. they going, now I have to punish you. Right. So the thing is a delicate balance of, you know, people get on, you know, the idea that Timothy Leary was sort of a proponent for um, LSD mm-hmm. being publicly used. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. This is the idea. And then, you know, what do we do with street shamanism in the sense of even if psychedelic medicines get put in uh, Schedule 2, mm-hmm. you know, then that means some medicinal benefit but still needs clinical right. Uh, advising. Right. However, that means synthetic psilocybin with psychologists who maybe are very brainy, mm-hmm. not necessarily some deep throwdown of psychedelic right. ayahuasca visions. Like there's, but that's good for a certain group of people. Right. And mm-hmm. yet, there needs to also be a renaissance of true mystical uh, experience, Absolutely. wild in nature, not in a double-blind mm-hmm. controlled right, exactly. study. Right. You know, feeling the power of nature run through yeah, your veins. Because right. I think that takes it, it takes away from it. it you know how, like, when you monitor something, it yeah. changes. Right, 
the quantum physics. The qu- right, right, exactly. But I think that you're looking for the change. You're it's right, exactly. You can't go into it like that. Although, the scientific way is the way to prove something yeah. true, absolutely. But Which at is- the same time, as you have to be in the moment, at mm-hmm. the spot, not in the laboratory. That's why I believe in the shamanism thing. You have to. You can't just do it in a warehouse in Brooklyn, or, or you have yeah. to go experience the whole ceremony. Yeah. You know. Or yeah. fast, or go in nature, or right. you know, tr- try to do some rituals, some rites of passage, right. some right. self initiations, five, five dried grams, and, you know, <laughs> you know, something in that, the dark. that really <laughs> kind of kicks the ass a little bit and yeah. shows us what we're made of. And, wow. and as we do that, we become strong for our whole community, and that's really the point. Mm. Yeah. I wanted to ask a question before um, about when we were talking about the gut. Uh, bacteria yeah. do you think that the people's different guts give people different trips uh that's very like, likely i mean like if i'm eating something and matt's eating something else but we have the same oh yeah I mean, everything whatever. is potentiate even the cacao like is a yeah. huge potentiator of mm-hmm. chemistry we don't know much about that the synergistic reactions of things i mean we have a few weird understandings like uh, the the MAOIs that are right. synthetic, right, lasting like weeks. That's right? insane. Yeah. But that doesn't happen with plants. And again, the closer you get to actual raw plant matter, mm-hmm. the safer it will be as far mm-hmm. as right. overdosing or right. side effects. Now, it may not be enough, right? Right. So salvia divinorum, you can't just smoke the plain leaf necessarily, right? Mm-hmm. right? Or DMT, you know, you, you can't need, smoke. You need an MAOI. You need yeah. some sort of process, and mm-hmm. yet that process in itself makes it more dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the bacteria in our guts are mediating our... You know, I don't want to say consciousness because for me, I call it awareness, and this is kind of a, a distinction I try to make mm-hmm. because consciousness already is <clears> everything. <throat> like, I see that consciousness is kind of the behind all that yeah. which is and then awareness is sort of the thing that changes you know yeah. so i think bacteria in your gut change your awareness and and i also find that if you get into chemistry you realize that everything is psychedelic and absolutely uh, yeah. Even yeah mckenna That's right. uh, dennis mckenna yeah. is, is like I, you know we are drugs That's and it. this is sort of a salvador dali approach yeah it's absolutely true man so, I love that. I love it so much. So every food is then cha- altering consciousness or awareness in this case. Oh, man. Well, I know that you're, you know, sort of nomadic. Uh, semi <laughs> But you would, would say New Jersey is, like, sort of, you know. Like, become kind of a home base. Yeah. I feel like it's a testing ground where it's a good place to not lose a sort of consensus or a demographic understanding mm-hmm. of, what exactly is going on in the world? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can dip into you know north northeastern New Jersey yeah. and really try to keep my center there, or like mm-hmm. get into Brooklyn or Manhattan, right. and really kind of try to keep centered and really focused mm-hmm. while uh, realizing how much kind of sickness there is in the yeah, world. Well. So because we're gonna have to we're gonna have to have you come back. On this. You're gonna I'd love to. This is gonna be like a new relationship. Right? Yay. <laughs> so why don't you tell people like Instagram yeah, all, that, all stuff. that stuff? Yeah. All right. So uh, starting with Instagram is uh, Return to Nature, and then YouTube and Facebook is Return to Nature Skills. Um, my Facebook is actually Dandelion, but um, I'm almost, I almost I'm not allowed to have any more friends, <laughs> so it's it's kind of lame. So the best place is. Uh, uh, 
kind of the Return to Nature Facebook page. Um, my website is returntonature.us, and uh, there I put a lot of foraging articles, herbalism mm-hmm. stuff, and always have <clears throat> upcoming classes, and everyone's, of course, always welcome to come out to classes or propose me to come hang out in your backyard and <laughs> make you a salad and get your mind blown by what's actually out there. So I do a lot of classes, and I'm always open to collaborate. I also do informational consultations, okay. uh, herbal consultations, So uh, especially with Lyme. I'm doing a lot of work with people with Lyme lately, so yep. okay. I can only do so much, but I'm trying my best. So Reach out to him, everyone. He's a wonderful person. Oh, if you want, my email is dan at return to nature dot U.S. Yeah. And, uh, Questions, comments, send them his way. <laughs> All right, well, uh, that's it for the Tink Tink Club. I'm Matt Landis. I'm Tim King. And I'm Chris Conti. We will thank you later. Love each other. Peace. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, Go to tinktinkclub.com for more information. We'll have links to all Dan's stuff up there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Follow us on Instagram. On Twitter. On, please like us on Facebook. Yeah, and give us a rating on iTunes, please. Yes. It helps us so leave much. Leave a comment. We love getting them. We'll yeah, talk we... to you. Send us a message. Mm-hmm. We'll All that. That's, that's how we met Dan. Was he sent us a message? Right. Listen, exactly. if you if you if you think that what you uh, what you do will be good for the show, send us a, an email, man. We would love to have you come on the show. Tell yeah. us a little bit about yourself. We're always looking for new guests. Mm-hmm. Um, we're always looking for new, interesting people to mm-hmm. interact with. Uh, doesn't matter what you do. You know, if you're an artist, if you're a singer or something, send us a message, man. We we love to hear from you. We love you. You know, <laughs> that's why it was so awesome to talk to Dan. Yeah, I mean, there are people who don't ever find out their calling mm-hmm. their entire life, mm-hmm. and then there are people like Dan who know it. Yep, and then act on it. And then there's other people right. who know it and are stuck in a nine to five, right. or stuck in a shitty job, yeah. or doing something their parents want them to do, but mm-hmm. they don't want to do at heart. And Dan is like the true form right, man. You know, of following what he really wants to do. A lot of do. people, a lot of people talk, you know, but he actually walks the walk. You know, right. that you hear that old. He does. He really like. There's people that are better. I call like fake hippies that uh, talk about this and that. Dan actually lives it and doesn't doesn't care what people say about him. Dan right. picked uh, a delicious wineberry uh, medley yeah. for us the next morning, uh-huh. right out of our backyard, and then Absolutely. Chris and I. And some other friends went for a hike, and that's all we saw. Because Dan pointed out, like, like yeah. that's wine berries. That's wine berries. Yeah, man. Go to go to returntonature.us for more information yeah. about him. He's follow, great. Follow him on Instagram. He posts informative videos all mm-hmm. the time. Right. He's a beautiful, wonderful, wonderful person. Sign up uh, for his classes. He yeah. teaches foraging classes. Yeah. He has um, uh, consultations at your house. He can make you a dinner out of your backyard. Yeah, he can take right. you on camping trips. Go. You could contact him. He'll be more than happy to speak with you. Yes. And he's a beautiful soul. He's and, a beautiful uh, soul. He's definitely going to be a regular here on the Tink Tink Club. I'm sure mm-hmm. he'll be back. A new friend. Uh, yeah, absolutely. A new, a new best friend. Honestly. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, just follow us as much as you can. Yeah. We love hearing from you, like we said, and we love you. Remember that. <laughs> Keep listening. Remember to have a good night. Yeah. Tell yourself.